It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. It's a pleasure to have you out there listening. I'm Chloe Thomas, creator of the e-commerce master plan. I'm an author, speaker, consultant focusing on e-commerce business strategy and, of course, marketing. Welcome to our 2017 e-commerce growth series sponsored by Vico, the number one inventory software. It's a series of shows of which we've almost reached the end of. So if you're only just catching up, please do go back uh, and have have another listen to the others. It was a series of shows to bring you lots of ideas and thoughts on how to take it to the next level in 2017. I must give a huge thank you to our marvellous sponsors, Vico, and their awesome software for enabling this series to happen. Now, Vico is the number one inventory software. It allows you to sell across multiple marketplaces such as eBay, Amazon, Magento, WooCommerce and Shopify. So it's a bit of an integration delight. Uh, Now, you can try Vico for free today. Go to info.vico.com forward slash e-commerce dash master plan. Oh, and you spell it V-E-E-Q-O. It's V-E-E-Q-O. I highly recommend you take a look and give it a try because as Shopify user and reviewer, Donovan of Chockadays described Vico as an unbelievable product. Cannot express how happy we are with you guys and how well things are working. If you want to sell on multiple channels, then this is a must have tool. Can't say much more than that, can you really? Let me introduce you to today's special guest. Philip Velitza is a mechanical engineer with a passion for designing, building and improving products. He's joining us today because he's also the host of the Product Startup Podcast. And I thought it would be a great idea to get an expert on product creation, i.e. the path from concept to production on the show for all of you out there listening. So hi, Philip. Hi, Chloe. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Um, it's great to have you on. So um, I've just given our listeners like a ridiculously quick overview of you. So uh, so how did you get into the whole world of product design? Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a long story. I'm going to try to make it as short as I can. And my roots in product design stem all the way to my childhood. And oh, cool. uh, when I was five years old and we were coming to the States, uh, we, you know, we we left Czechoslovakia at, at the time, and we were waiting in Greece to get our paperwork. And um, like typical immigrants, I suppose, um, we uh, it, it took a lot longer than we expected. Mom, you know, mom was working two jobs; we didn't have a whole lot going on. And I pulled a toy out of the dumpster that was missing a wheel, and I popped the wheel back using a screw from something else. I found some sort of an appliance, and the little toy truck kind of worked. And I was able to kind of pull it around everywhere. And that just opened up this world of possibility for me because I thought that I had all this control over, over the, the physical space around me. And I, I, it was just this amazing uh, feeling of, of creation. And that kind of fostered or that I, I fostered that as a child and even when we were growing up in the States. And I started working on the house, being, quote, the, you know, the man of the house, even though I was, you know, eight to 10 years old or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, I, I had to fix things around the house. And so I became very handy. And, and that one combined with the other encouraged me to get a mechanical engineering degree. And then I ended up working in industry doing the same. And so now I 
that that's basically what I teach is this intersection of DIY and product development. Basically, you know how anyone can take their product to market themselves. And um, that's that's kind of the the big thing I want to talk about today is where where those where those sales that sales there where those products even come from. It's getting very tongue tied today. Apologies, <laughs> everybody. Um, so. A lot of people, I mean, we have a lot of people listening who are startups and or who are thinking and wanting to get into this world of e-commerce or in fact, you know, kind of people like me who already work in the world of e-commerce, but who want their own store, but just can't can't work out where to start. And I always think that product is a really important place to start. And the real, really big decision there is whether you're going to source products from other people in terms of, you know, creating like a great fashion boutique, you've got to create that great edit, or if you're going to sell gifts, the great edit, or you can go about creating the product. So I guess, you know, in your eye, obviously, you know, you love products, so your answer would be create your own product. But what do you think are the key benefits of going down the, um, the, the, your, your personal unique product angle? Right. And so what I wanted to touch on really quick, too, is you, mm. you mentioned that a lot of the people on the podcast have their own business and they're already successful doing you know, whatever yes. they're doing with their e-commerce business. I say that's a monster leg up on anyone that's just starting from scratch because one of the top ways of getting ideas is through your existing customers and being able to validate those ideas and and see how they re- the market responds to them is just huge. You know, having access to that type of feedback as something when you're just starting out can be one of the largest stumbling blocks. And so for anyone listening here, I just want to say that you're, you know, you're in an ideal position to basically start your own product. Oh, awesome. But, so, so what you're saying is that it's not just a choice for the person who hasn't got going yet, but actually it could be a great way for someone who's already got a business selling other people's products to take their business to the next level. Oh, absolutely. The, I'm partnered with somebody now. We're bringing a new product to market. And until now, he has focused on repurposing other people's products and kind of rebranding them as his own, making some small changes to them, um, kind of a version of private labeling, uh, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and the product that we, we partnered on was a brand new from the ground up design. But because he has all his experience with his current audience and the contacts, for all sorts of you know suppliers and and you know all the logistics chain going down to you know sh- shipping and receiving and everything, uh, it's just been a huge leg up for us. So the the customer research part is really important. You know, I would think so. I th- I think when you first start out and you have all these ideas and and I don't want to get off track because you originally asked me why is the product <laughs> that important and so I, w- I want to answer that um, and I'm I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. I'm that's all, okay. All over the place. Uh, so what the, the reason that I think products are important is is because you have this ability to touch people in a physical way that uh, other products don't. Like all these digital products that are coming out, um, and and this is just my opinion. Again, like you said, <laughs> I'm a products guy. I've bought tons of eBooks, all sorts of courses, things like that that were online, and I enjoyed them, and they had value to me. But if I don't touch it every day, if I don't feel it, if I don't appreciate its texture or its color or um, you know, its heft in my hand while I'm carrying it somewhere or a tool that I'm using that has that tactile feedback, I just don't get as much joy out of those digital products as I would a physical product. And so I think, in my opinion, now that we're entering this space where uh, there, everyone has this ability to create customized products, right? The trend now that I see is 
companies creating products that are really niched down to to smaller groups of people that ordinarily you wouldn't be able to serve, but because of the technologies that are available now, you're able to make it customizable even for the end user or for the customer. And so we have this ability to reach people in ways that we just didn't in the past. And so my answer to you is that, you know, I think the, you have the ability to have a much deeper relationship with your customer through a physical product. So I suppose it's also the case of if you're, you know, if you were going to create, uh, I'm going to be ridiculously British now. Uh, if you're going to create an online store selling tea, then you could go out and you could buy tea from people who already create tea and sell that on your on your site and become the boutique for the best teas of the world. But you're missing out to some extent if you don't have your own range of tea, because when someone gets the product, it's not your brand. It's not your experience they're, they're experiencing Twinings or, or, you know, Clipper or whoever else, whoever, whoever actually made the tea. Whereas if you've got your own tea, then their relationship with your brand becomes that much stronger. Absolutely. Yeah. Where's the added value if you're just relabeling somebody else's? And don't get me wrong, I have businesses and I'm working with people that do that same thing. And that's great because it gets you, a, like I said, a leg up on all sorts of other things. But if, in my opinion, if you want a lasting business, it needs to be something that provides something unique that can't be replicated. So I'm going to come back to that customizable bit you were talking about earlier. And um, what level of customization are we talking here? Are we talking about like like um, specking every detail of a complex product? Or are we talking about sewing your initials onto a handkerchief? Yes. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so both. You, yeah, I mean... And if you look at the trends now, there you know there's handbags that and shoes that men and women can personalize down to the pair unit basis. Now you know there's companies where you go on their website and you can create this customizable product that's just unique. That's there have been none other like it before. You know through kind of a list of options um, down to like you said the monogramming where there's new products coming out to. Uh, for example, in the you know in the wedding space or in the party space, where you can create your own invitations, and and while that's been going on for you could say decades, it's gone down to a certain level where people are able to you know laser cut into glasses and things like that. Um, so you can have a really customized experience for the customer at relatively minor additional cost. And that's a that's a big trend at the moment. I think that's where all products are going at some point. You know, the world is getting smaller every day. Technologies are helping to to bridge this manufacturing gap, this technical gap between having to make you know a thousand units of the same thing. Um, so it's it's just bound to happen where you're now you're able to serve these little micro niches that you weren't before. You know, you always had hobbyists doing models, but now you've got hobbyists doing drones of this particular size uh, with cameras on them that have these functions. I mean, you're just niching, 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 niching. Okay. And um, within that, that kind of niching angle of things and getting, getting that customizable, does this, the, the, this then feed into the whole world of um, 3D printing? Where does yeah, that fit? That's, and that's a part of it. And so one of the reasons why I think anybody can do this right now, uh, just today, is because of this explosive growth in all these other technologies. And 3D printing is definitely one of them. You know, access to rapid prototyping equipment for just you and me. You know, we can walk into, and I don't know if they have them in the UK, but we have maker spaces and hacker spaces here. 
But it's basically a like a gym model where you can walk in, you pay a monthly fee, and you have access to all this equipment that you wouldn't otherwise before, and uh, access to training to, to you know for people to help you use it. Um, but it, so, in addition to prototyping, which is just one piece, we've had this explosion of you know consumer access to consumer data through Facebook and some of these other you know Twitter analytics, Google analytics, all these other companies that have just come up maybe even the last two or three years about web browsing habits that you can record people using your website and how they interact with the pieces. Um, the computer design tools that we use now to create the 3D models that get printed have become so much more easier to use because of the maker movement and, and some of these other movements. The popularity of crowdfunding, for example, and Kickstarters and Indiegogo has just soared in the last you know, five or ten years. And the same thing with e-commerce. I'm sure you guys talk about a lot on your show about how easy it is to put up a show. Um, I'm sorry, to put up a product page and sell something. As yeah, opposed that, to 10 years ago, you know. That was um, was something I was going to come on to later, but I'm going to come on to now since you mention it, which is, you know, there's we often have people on, on the show who have their own products, who've designed them, who've created them. And it seems that quite often that type of person, either through necessity or just because it's just the way they operate, they're looking for, they're kind of in this product first, route to market second, they weren't going, I want to build an e-commerce business. What am I going to sell? Oh, I better create something. They're more going, I, I see a gap in the market for this product. How do I get it for market? Oh, well, wholesale is going to work. Well, I might as well have an e-commerce site. I might go on this platform, that platform. So is it is that, that how you find it? Is that it, it's kind of product first and then you just hunt for the right route to market? Yeah, I think it has to be organic in that way because if you think that there's going to be a certain path and you're going to just you're going to be the hammer that just drives everything as a nail, so to speak. And and I think you need to be open to receiving those answers from your audience. And that comes at the very beginning. And you know, when you have your idea and you're looking to validate the market and you're having those conversations with your customers and you know, in the next stage, you're, you really need to ask non-leading questions. It's not, do you like my product? Wouldn't you buy it? <laughs> you know, right? It needs to be, hey, what kind of problems are you struggling with? And why ha- haven't the existing solutions and the alternates uh, worked for you? And and when you have those types of open conversations and you see where your audience is spending their most most of their time and how they get on in their day, and that will answer a lot of these other questions about what types of portals and if you should go wholesale or retail or online only. So it very much is a customer research first model. I I think so. You know, I think if I mean reaching back into my experience working for a mom and cop sorry, mom and pop company of, of zero to five employees all the way up to a company of three hundred thousand people, they always do the consumer research bit first because otherwise it, you can get to the point where you've invested so much time and money into it and it just hasn't panned out because you just made some assumptions that were wrong. I mean, you can even see companies now that are huge that will make these assumptions about <laughs> their own target market, you know, clear Pepsi or, you know, some of yeah. these other drinks. So um, so that customer research, that starts before you've got the prototype or after you've got the prototype? Yeah, so the whole process is kind of fluid and it's very iterative. You, you know, you get the idea, 
you validate your market, you know, another a really quick go, no go. Do I need in the States, for example, do I need FDA approval because it's a medical product? Do I need a certain type of testing because it's an electronics product? Um, I, is the market big enough to support just me? It doesn't matter if it's a niche that's really tight, but is it, is it large enough? And then the next stage is creating a, some sort of a concept that then you can have a conversation around with customers. And I use the word conversation because, in my opinion, polls aren't as effective as sitting down with 15 to 25 people and saying, okay, let's, let's just talk about this and you, you just tell me whatever comes to the top of your mind. So there's kind of that, that, that very first stage of, is this even worth exploring? What are the, what are the barriers to entry? What are, what's the, um, the potential scope? And then you're kind of into sketches and, and explained ideas rather than that physical 3D item? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it depends on your skill set, obviously. And, you know, sketches are good. Photos are good. People can do mock-ups. There's all sorts of materials you can get at the art stores and craft stores that make it really easy for you and I to just create something from scratch. Um, you don't have to get a 3D printer and do all that stuff in the beginning. <laughs> the goal is to have something for the customer or the potential customer to look at because, as you probably know, people get really excited about physical things or colors or they want something that that they can interact with that's not just a, a concept. Um, and what you're looking to do is kind of in, inspire some of that conversation. And even if it doesn't go in the direction that you want it to go to, you've gotten some data back. So you, so you, at that point, you're listening, 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 and then amending. And, and ha- I guess you might repeat that process several times before you invest any more money in developing the idea. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're going to talk to 15 and 25 people. And I think the, maybe some of the hardest parts are weeding out what you listen to and what you don't. Because, and again, one of the reasons that you're having these individual conversations is because you don't want that group think. You don't want a, a few people in a group to drive a conversation. So you're having individual conversations. You're letting each voice be heard. And then you're kind of taking that back and analyzing it and saying, you know what? Uh, there's maybe two or three common themes. And I don't know if I want to take it in, you know, number two and number three because it doesn't match my values or it doesn't match where I want to take the company or it doesn't match my vision. But here's a segment of the market that it does, it does resonate with. And I'm going to kind of dig deeper into that. I got you. So it's kind of a mixture of, well, listen to what you think is right. But it's also a little bit about, well, the the old adage of if you would ask people in the 18th century what they wanted in transport, they'd have said a faster horse. They wouldn't have said a car. And and at the same time, it's also kind of that part of you've, you've you've got to make sure you create something that you're going to be passionate about. So you have to find the, the bit that resonates with you. Are are you familiar with the asking the five whys? I'm vaguely familiar with it, but I expect many of our audience aren't. So could you run through the five whys? Yeah, so this is a really good technique that I use to kind of root down to the to the core issue. For example, you're you're talking to somebody and you're in the scuba gear manufacturing business and they tell you, "Hey, I want scuba gear for my Boston Terrier." And you say, "Oh, well, that's interesting. Why do you want that?" Well, because I scuba dive a lot and I bring him with me. Oh, okay, well, that sounds pretty fun, but why do you bring your Boston with you? Well, because he he doesn't have anywhere to go when I'm going scuba diving and I can't leave him with anybody. Okay, so why haven't you left him with a doggy daycare? Oh, well, there's none in my city. And so 
as the manufacturer, you thought it was a product that maybe met their needs, but in reality, maybe they need a doggy daycare. <laughs> uh, you know? and, and that happens. Actually, it happens so often because especially as in companies, you get ingrained into, again, hitting, hitting the, all the, the nails with your particular hammer that you think that your solution is the right solution. And if you don't ask those why questions and really dig deep into that, um, you won't really get the, the, the detail out that you need. I, I guess it's kind of like that um, that heart dropping moment on uh, we have Dragon's Den in the UK. I think you call it Shark Tank over in the yep. States. Yep. And um, we have uh, Peter, who's one of the dragons, and he will be the guy who proves your product is a terrible idea and a pencil would have done better. Um, <laughs> you know, there's always those those terrible moments on those shows where you're going... You're, you're, you've, you've believed their pitch and you're loving it. And then someone comes up and goes, one of the dragons comes up and goes, yeah, but I could do that with a pencil. And you're like, oh, or they break right. it, you know, or some, something like that. And you suddenly realize that actually that you've, you've created an amazing product for a problem that didn't exist. Yeah, that happens. That's probably one of the top issues that I see is people staying in their own head and they've created, uh, for example, and so in, and this person that I, I spoke to, and it's not a patented idea, and so I'm, I'm free to share it, but they, uh, because I see it in stores now. So th- this guy created a product to level the table leg in a restaurant or a cafe that you're in, because as you and I know, we both, are, maybe we might be frustrated when we sit down and the table kind of rocks back and forth. Yeah. And so you end up putting a packet of sugar or something underneath to level it. But this guy created a product that allows you to kind of level that, but his target market was other customers at the restaurant. And I think that was a huge miss because who's going to pay to level some of their customers' table? And even if you can take it with you. Um, you just end up leaving them all over the city because right. you're not, you're not going to remember to remove your table leveler. And, and it's just one of those ideas that, you know, it's a great idea because it solves a deep pain point. But I saw his kiosk a couple months later and he probably sold a couple units because it just didn't resonate with his customers. So let's say that someone's they've got they've done that kind of um, self DIY non-working prototype three D object. They've got the great feedback. They've refined it. They've now know who their target market is and they know what the product needs to be. What do they do next? Yeah, so I think you can start exploring the design part of it and making it. Some basically turning your thoughts into something that can be communicated to a manufacturer on paper. So whether it's a specification or a drafted set of drawings or a 3D model, um, and and just start putting that together and start specifying the materials or the colors or the particular requirements that it needs to meet. You know, is it going to be used outside? It might need UV protection or it needs to be waterproof or and things like that. And really start kind of hashing some of that out and. And then maybe the step after that would be trying to edit that and make sure that you're focusing on the most valuable parts of your product because, again, you're going to have access to, you know, again, 15 to 25 people and they're all going to say that they want it, you know, they want a feather sticking out of it and, and there's you know, three different colors and it needs to have flashing lights and all this other stuff. And as a product owner, you need to make that call to say, is this essential for my product to succeed in the market? And I suppose at this point, you're also weighing up the cost of each of those amends as well. Because if you started talking to manufacturers, presumably you've got some idea of what the cost is going to be and which which parts of the package are the more expensive ones. 
Absolutely. And, you know, you know I'm going to quote Ikea here, which is something I probably <laughs> rarely do because they're not like a bastion of uh, amazing design, but they actually do what they do really well. And at our store here in Houston, a while back, they had a sign that said, we design with a price tag first. And wow. that may not resonate with everybody listening to the show because that kind of put me off a bit because that said, oh, that means you produce an inferior quality product. Or, you know, the, and they, one of their other statements was, well, we don't put quality where you can't see it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's rather worrying when you're sitting on a chair and hoping there's quality underneath. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, but at the same time, there's so much wisdom in that because hmm. you, at the very beginning, you're having those conversations with your target market and they're saying, hey, I really want something in this range and, you know, the 20 to $30 range or whatever that is. When you're working on your design, you need that data back because otherwise you're just going to put everything with the kitchen sink in there and it's going to be this amazing huge product and for $300 and it might not have the traction that you originally thought it was going to have. So what, I, what I'm really taking from this is that it's, it's about, you know, the whole process is about listen to the customer design something, listen to the customer, revise it, listen to the customer, revise it a bit more. And all those customer conversations are one-on-ones. Then find some manufacturers, find out a bit more, get a working prototype, talk, revise, talk, revise, talk, revise, and then hope that you can find something that meets the customer needs, meets the cost needs and can be built. Absolutely right. No, that's exactly. And and it is iterative. And so people shouldn't get discouraged because companies that do this for a living iterate all the time. You're constantly taking one step forward and maybe one step back and then two steps forward and one step back and because you're having to adjust it. And you can – the awesome thing is that you can see people's eyes light up. If you are creating this product and you come back and you're at the stage where you're talking to manufacturers because you're going to have to tweak your design a bit from what you dreamt it could be to what can actually be produced. And so you'll tweak it again. The design will be tweaked once you start speaking to manufacturers. And you come back to your target market again and say, hey, it looks like we're a go. This is what, what we can do and it can hit the price point. And you see your, your customers, your potential customers' eyes light up and they say, yes, that's it, absolutely. Some of them will throw money at you and that's when you know that you're on the right path. Excellent. So um, that seems like quite a straightforward process to some, but to some that seems like, a, like an amazingly crazy process but they have no, no, um, no knowledge of. So what, what are the kind of the key areas you find people kind of screwing up in what are the what are the common mistakes that people who are new to this process make yeah so i would say number one is not listening to the customer is the number one problem um and we've covered that in detail but but you have to make something that other people want and if you don't you have to find the courage in you to ask those questions and get potentially get the feedback that isn't what you were looking for and then make changes to that because if you fall in love with your idea, you've gone through the entire process and you haven't branched out to anybody else and asked those questions, uh, you're taking a monster risk. And that's where people really lose their shirt. Oh, so, so true. So that's the number one. I would say that the second one is or you know, the other major thing is people get caught up in this issue of IP, so patent protection and things like that. I can't speak for the UK. I, in the States, we have what's called a provisional patent application. And you can apply for that. That gives you patent pending status for basically a fraction of the cost as a full patent would. And it gives you a year to test your product idea. So right at the point where you're starting to speak to manufacturers, 
um, or you've all of a sudden expanded the amount of people that will know about this product, you can apply for that provisional patent application and it'll protect your idea for a year and that's when you try to go to market with it. And if it succeeds, then the market pays for your patent. But if it doesn't, then you've only spent a marginal amount of money protecting it. Uh, okay, so it's kind of like um, don't expect that you have to do everything on day one, just do the essentials and you can get essential legal cover without having to spend the fortune it takes to get a patent. Absolutely. People will approach me and say, hey, I'm looking for a rich investor to fund my idea. That is probably the number one question I get. And I'll, and, and what's the answer? <laughs> yeah, un- unfortunately, I don't know of too many investors that are just going to invest in an idea because that's, they're looking for execution. They're looking for the ability to, to, to get a return on their investment. And in order to prove that to them, you're going to need to go through these steps, these product development steps where you're testing the market and validating it and working with manufacturers and all those steps kind of de-risk the process for the investor. So, And it, really- it, it kind of strikes me, Philip, that a lot of those steps, certainly at the early stages, they don't cost a great deal, do they? I mean, it's a trip down to Hobbycraft, get some pipe cleaners and some, some clay, um, <laughs> work up your product and find some people to talk to. And that's we're not, we're not talking thousands there, are we? We're talking a few hundred in cost. So it's quite easy to get yourself in a much better position for, the, for, for, for an investor. Absolutely. You know, it depends how, what your skill set is and how much time you have. Mm. And you can, of course, the, the moon is the limit on how much money you can spend. But if you have the time, absolutely, you can get it done on a budget, on a, on a really tight budget. And uh, one other thing that we didn't talk about with rapid prototyping is, is my favorite secret idea. So everyone cool. has to keep it a secret um, <laughs> is going into and I don't know what your version of dollar stores is, but we have dollar stores in the States where you can get fine products that are overstocked in other places or maybe have uh, have some issues with the, with the marketing or the box has been ripped and they'll sell them at stores for a dollar a piece. Yeah, we have pound stores. Okay, perfect. So I go into those stores and will Frankenstein prototypes from those pieces because you cannot find those parts uh, new for the price that you will pay on those stores. I mean, it's a dollar a piece and you will get a housing, some lights or a battery holder or whatever it is. And you can hack it to pieces and kind of Frankenstein it together and paint it one color. And you've got a physical prototype now that might even work. Also for electronics type things. Uh, sure. Or yeah. even physical things. There's oh, wow. things made of wire that you can kind of bend and repurpose, you know, a kitchen spatula and turn it into an antenna or whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, it's just raw material that you have great access to that it's a lot cheaper than just buying it in a, you know, direct from the manufacturer or from a material wholesaler. Oh, that's an awesome tip. So do you have any other kind of top tips for anyone embarking on this process for the first time? Uh, don't isolate yourself because it is difficult and prepare for yourself for being difficult. And I'm not saying that to scare anyone, but that it, it is because you're, and especially if you're going through this for the first time, you might feel like you're making a lot of missteps or you, you might not be making the progress that you think that you should be. Uh, don't isolate yourself, get help. There's so many places local and, and a lot of major cities where you can get help at every step along the way, whether it's funding or making prototypes and, you know, continuing education classes uh, or, you know, shoot me an email or something and say, hey, you know what, I'm really, really struggling and I'm on this step and I don't know what, what to do next. And just don't let it marinate. Don't just sit there on it and, and let it stew. Marvelous. Well, after those top tips about product creation, I think we need to move on to the top tips round. 
This e-commerce growth series is sponsored by Vico. Vico is the number one inventory software. Vico allows you to sell across multiple marketplaces, such as eBay, Amazon, Magento, WooCommerce, and Shopify. You can try Vico for free today at info.vico.com forward slash e-commerce dash masterplan. Vico is V-E-E-Q-O. So that's info.vico.com forward slash e-commerce dash masterplan. This is a section I love because it gives all of us some really quick ideas for taking our businesses forward. So, Thomas, the first one for you today is the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Can I say two? Because one's yeah, kind of a cheat. You can okay. say two. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I'm going to give the cheat, which is kind of what we talked about, about coming up with ideas and things like that. And uh, this gentleman's name is Michael Michalko, and I might have butchered it, but he's come up with a deck of cards that's called Think Pack. And it's just a deck of cards that has maybe 55-ish ideas on it that will help get you out of a rut. So, for example, I just pulled a, a card out of the pack here, and it's card number 35, and it says eliminate. Can you simplify it, streamline it, miniaturize it, condense it, or make it compact? What can you understate? So oh, it's nice. just a, a practical tool that I've used, and you can use it in teams or individually to just get more ideas, whether it's about making a new product or it's an advertising campaign or marketing. Uh, hands down, I think probably the best $10 that you can spend to you know, to get your creative juices going. Nice. And your second? Uh, so second, I've had to do a lot of soul searching uh, lately, and I've read Man's Search for Meaning by, um, by B- Viktor Frankl. And just because I've always done what's been the maybe the most financially prudent thing to do in life, mm-hmm. or I've always had the 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 next job that I've taken was something that I was mildly interested in, but definitely paid more. Uh, growing up, you know, we had a lot of stress when it came to finances. Watching my mom work two jobs, and I thought, you know what, that's not going to be me. And I've been really successful in my career. I you know, worked, you know, six figures, engineering manager, accomplished a lot in my life. But then I you know, last month I was laid off because oil and gas industry here is struggling. A uh, company closed down, yes. and well. But it's a huge opportunity now. And so I'm sitting back and saying, great, you know, now I've been wanting to do all these things with my with my side company and I have this huge opportunity to do that. There's no excuses anymore. (laughs) Right. But where do I even want to take it? You know, what is the because now I've made all these decisions again that were the prudent decisions to make, but not necessarily the ones that resonated with me that were made me happy. And, And that sounds ridiculous, but. My- no, it doesn't at all. I know there'll be a lot of people going, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, anyway, I found this book to just give you really great perspective. It, you know, In general, if you look at the people that survive these uh, prisoner or war camps, regardless of the war that you look at, the reason that they survived is because of their mindset. And I can certainly learn a lot from that. And the, and the book definitely made me, you know, it gave me some additional perspective for sure. Oh, two very good suggestions. I'm, I'm glad we let you do two. Um, next is the traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Traffic tip. Uh, hmm. You know, I, and this is going to, I think it depends really on what, you know, what you're selling or what you're doing. I have still had really good luck with 
responding in comments on blogs. And I know that's like so like 2003 or whatever. <laughs> um, but all these other tactics with social media and everything like that, I just haven't been able to find a message that resonates. And some of these articles that are on, for example, on product development, I will leave a comment on the article and answer maybe something that the article didn't and then leave a a link at the end to say, hey, if you really want to find out more, here's here's mm-hmm. my site. I probably left, I don't know, 10 comments like that. And that is the bulk of my traffic right now other wow. than SEO. Wow, there's a there's a big tip and one that I know we haven't had on the show before. So that's cracking. Um, the tool top tip next, there may be a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that <clears throat> makes you and your team more efficient day to day? Yeah, so I'm going to take the easy way out and say a way of working. Um, <laughs> uh, when I had my daughter, or when, sorry, when my wife, when my wife say, had the that's daughter. That's impressive. I, uh, <laughs> she, she did all the heavy lifting for sure. Um, but when, so when she was born and uh, she had some complications post-pregnancy and I ended up coming home after work and, you know, giving her the bottle and changing the diaper and everything every two or three hours uh, while I was launching the product startup. And I realized oh, that- wow. um, that I had this time limit where, you know, if you didn't get it done in two hours, it wasn't going to get done. And as an engineer, as a perfectionist, as super <laughs> detail-oriented person, this is like one of my demons in life that I'm constantly battling, um, it, it, I found this new way of working. And so now I try to set a time limit for all the tasks that I do and I race myself. And I, that's probably also sounds pretty ridiculous to some people. Uh, but if I don't give myself my own deadline, I will make like the most amazing, uh, inconsequential thing that, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that anyone else has ever seen. And so I basically just, just look at the watch and say, right, so I'm giving myself an hour to do this and I need to get it done. And, um, you know, I built a workbench in my workshop in two and a half hours and I'm a woodworker. And so I probably could have turned it into a weekend project. I, I think that's such good advice. Um, I, I'm i also someone who, who will carry on with something for much longer than it needs carrying on with to, to you know, to achieve the goal that, that it needs to do. So I think that that's a great piece of advice because it's everything we do in e-commerce pretty much um, and everything I do in my business, I'm sure, Philip, everything you do in your business, it could take five minutes or it could take five days. Yep, absolutely. And um, And it's often not worth spending five days on it. Very rarely. <laughs> yeah, um, like I said, I'm still battling that. It's a yeah. constant battle. Oh, no, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I have to tell you it never ends, but um, <laughs> but you get better at fighting the battle. Um, right, the startup top tip. If you met someone this weekend who's thinking of starting an e-commerce business, what would be your first tip for them? Uh, you know, I'm going to just drill this again. Know your target market. Where do they hang out? Where do they go? What do they like to do? Uh I know Gary Vanderchuk um, talked about um, you know sneaking peeks behind pe- people's shoulders to see what kind of apps they were using on their cell phone. Uh, so you, you really need to get that data back somehow, and surveys aren't the best way of doing it. And so just immerse yourself into whatever that you're starting up, and you have to make yourself an expert. Know more than your customers know about what you're getting into. Excellent and perfectly good move to reiterate that point again. So, um, Philip, before we say goodbye, would you like to let the listeners know where they can find about you, your podcast and everything else you're doing on the web and social media, please? Yeah, absolutely. So you can get 
links to all of that if you go to theproductstartup.com and there's a link to the podcast there or you can just search for The Product Startup on iTunes. Excellent, Thank you for being on the e-commerce master plan podcast today and for being so generous sharing all of your experience with us. It was a pleasure coming on. Thanks again for having me on the show. I had a great time. Well, I'll add links to all of that and everything else we talked about today in the show notes. Masterplan World, you can find those at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 86-5 or just go to the website, click on that podcast tab or use the search box. If you've enjoyed learning about product creation and want to know more, because we really did only scratch the surface today, then make sure you have a listen to Philip's podcast, The Product Startup. Just to summarise the key points from today for you then, number one. Creating your own products, whether as an extension to your existing range of bought-in products or as the start of your business, is a great way to create a point of difference and enhance the customer's relationship with your business. Point number two. At every stage, get feedback from your target market. Speak to them one-on-one. Get them to answer open-ended questions, then review all those responses using your knowledge to filter out the key points. Point number three, just to reiterate again, be really clear on who your target market is. You need to know them better than anyone else does if you're going to be successful with this. Now, if you're enjoying our 2017 e-commerce growth series sponsored by Vico, then please do spread the word to your e-commerce friends. Twitter, Facebook, over a smoothie, a milkshake, a freak shake, a pint, I don't mind, but please do spread the word because it would be great to to increase the listenership by a lot this year. Uh, And make sure you also come along and join in the conversation at the e-commerce masterplan world Facebook group, which you can find via ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook. Next time, which is just a few days away, we have the very last in this series, which is Johnny Cass. He's going to be joining us from Australian store Stonemen to talk about selling internationally and working well with your business partners. It's a really interesting interview um, and Johnny's got a really good angle on things. So I think you'll enjoy that one. Well, don't worry, because once this series is over, we still have plenty of great interviews coming up, including in February alone, the legendary Michael E. Gerber of Emith fame. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on that one. Have a great week and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.